0: March again, got ahead Elizabeth. Yeah, there's Here we go. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah. He so started. He started recently. We had a training day, and he jumped in, in and started doing stuff.
1: all right well let's uh, begin with prayer let us pray blessed lord who has caused all holy scriptures written for our learning grant we may in such wise hear them eat mark learn and inwardly digest them that by patience and comfort thy holy word
0: It's never will fast God's given us your Savior <clears throat> So we entered
1: into 1 into, um, John, did a chapter of that last week, and um, we talked about
0: um, John and
1: 1 John as it relates to the, the Gospel of John and also to revelation, but especially First John and the Gospel of John really focus on
0: um, the incarnate
1: reality of Christ, that this is a real physical revelation and truth that God has revealed. And we talked last week that this is in opposition to the idea of a kind of Gnostic salvation, like that salvation is mostly in your mind or head. It, it involves some kind of secret esoteric knowledge and not, um, concrete reality of incarnation, which is manifested in, um, which produced witnesses, John, we saw, we touched, we handled him. And then they were, they, they then went to the church and bore witness to this reality. We talked about how, um, on one level, the doctrine of apostolic succession comes from that. This he saw, he passed it on, others received from him and passed it on. So it's, it's not um, uh, an ephemeral idea, it's a concrete incarnational reality. And um, the, because it's a concrete incarnational reality that we receive by faith, A lot of what John's going to emphasize is that it must become a concrete reality in our lives reflected in how we live, walking in the light, loving one another, and doing things. You can't divorce your salvation in your head from your, your sort of manner of going about each day, which the more Gnostic, the more purely spiritual a faith becomes, the more that kind of separation accrues to them. Those are the things we we talked a little bit about about last week. Let's just jump into chapter 2 and um, continue on. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin.
0: Learning that
1: Sin is a a, uh, a serious thing. It, it, it's contrary to the life we live. He says, "If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world." John had ended our our chapter. Um, last week with verses that talked about um, if we, in verse seven, if we walk in the light as he is light, we have fellowship, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us. And he said, if we say we have no sin, we're deceived. Do we confess? God is faithful and just to forgive. And what we get in, in a verse where he says, he starts with that you may not sin. And this is well, if you do, here's this is this is just in, in a practical sense the reality of, of the Christian life, right? Where we're, we walk in Christ and yet occasionally something, you know, a temptation in a moment creeps in and we uh, are moved to some kind of behavior that's not consistent. So the natural thing to do is we're walking in that light is to confess it. And then the cleansing is an ongoing reality of the Christian life. And this is uh, different than, um, so that would be talking about kind of um, incidental sin that you fell into somehow in a state when you weren't aware of it, uh, or um, maybe you had. In this law of Levels' of this works. You may have. Uh, we we may have uh, um,
0: thoughts that are disordered,
1: or you know attitudes we have that we're not really aware of. And then we come into maybe worship or prayer, and, and like something, a shot a spotlight shined on that, and it leads us to confession. So this isn't, sin here is, is any disorder, and there's a lot of things that are disordered in our lives that we're not fully aware of. Part of the, prospect, the trajectory of growth is that as we move into more of the light, we see more of what's amiss. And so that's the dynamic of sin and confession, because we're aware of it, we confess it, we're cleansed, which stands in, um, contrast with the idea of, of practicing sin, something you do disobediently. You know, you've scheduled it for next Friday. <laughs> you know, so, so the willful, willful, purposeful disobedience is different than, the kind of um, things we can fall into small selfish acts or or even if we're tempted in the moment it's there's a distinction between those two things
0: of the settings, is of this setting
1: well yeah it's a, good, it's a good question it's probably with the besetting term is better to think of a besetting temptation so a besetting temptation is that you're always plagued by this Tendency. Every time this happens, I'm tempted to fly off the handle and go into rage. That's the besetting temptation. And yet it's not the temptation itself is not a sin, but if I don't learn to manage that reaction to something, um, it can fall into sin. So it's really important in the spiritual life to make a distinction between temptation and sin. Because a lot of people mistake the two. The fact is that in our minds, in our thought processes, lots of things go into the mind. You might, you know, if you're like me, like you're thinking, of, you, you, a thought comes to you, go, what? What am I doing? And that's the the entertaining of the thought is not the sin. It may even be a thought that goes that goes that passes. And in the spiritual, thought, what we want to do is then get to the point where we say no and we reject that thought. And so um it's the embracing of that thought and turning it into disobedient action that turns the temptation into the actual sin stuff.
0: Well, um, this is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where he says,
1: uh, you've heard it said, don't kill. I say, if you're angry, you've been murdered. You've heard it said, don't be adultery But I say, you know, if you look on a woman, um, and the um, so we know it's, it's just the sort of etymology of sin, right? If you um, the actual act of it begins with the thought and the temptation, and and what Jesus was getting at in the Sermon on the his well, mean, a lot he's used to getting in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, not not one thing, but but in in drawing out the purpose of the law, he was highlighting that. The surface commandments, yes, they're important to keep, but they, but, um, but they begin not in the act itself, but in the heart and in the thought. And if we really want to deal with the reality of sin, that's where we have to address it. And if we're always, so for example, if we, you know never killed anybody, we, we spend all our lives seething in an animosity towards a lot of people. Yeah, or if we've, you know, we've never committed adultery, but we're, you know, but somebody who's you know, always thinking and, and doing all kinds of other things that are, so, so that's, that is reflection of sin in us and the disposition. So, um, as we learn um, through the life of prayer, I, I think that the, 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 the discipline we learn is to say no sooner, because when we get drawn into it, so for example, I, you know like anger. If I see myself getting mad, if I bite and go, I can throw a tantrum, and it's too late mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. get out. But if you can just hold on for a little bit, mm-hmm. read and see, and, and and I think this is this is actually. Um, in in the spiritual life, how we grow uh, in our prayer is we grow in our awareness of what besets us. And I think when we're spiritual infants, we have a temptation and we react like a knee-jerk reaction. This somebody says this or even, and and we just do that and we're frustrated. What's that all about? And and we try real hard not to do it, but we don't succeed. Wisdom that helps us conquer it is is the wisdom that um, enables us to see, oh, when I do, when, when I encounter this situation, it provokes this thing in me. I need to be aware of that. And I don't want to go too deep in the weeds on this because this is a whole discussion on a perspective of the spiritual life, which we actually talk with a lot of context in our church, but... And your reaction to that is probably more than just that, um, because we have a history in our lives of of being formed in certain circumstances that that have trained us to have certain emotional processes. We may have some latent anger, for example. Just we we've, we've learned to store it up, and when that person does that thing, it what you might call it, triggers, or sets off, and all of a sudden we're here and it's like, they just, you know, did something pretty incidental, I mean, what's that all about? So what I'm saying in terms of spiritual life, we become aware of, we find that the, the anger is disproportionate, or the emotion is disproportionate with the, the presenting thing, and then we can start doing some self-reflection, what is that about in my life? Where do i find that pattern and then we have we may find ways we need to go back and there may be some forgiveness or some grieving is usually where it starts that is we're angry because something happened and we didn't get what we wanted we got what we didn't want or didn't get resolved this way and so we we hold on to it's an unresolved emotionality that becomes a part of ourselves and so that's i don't want to to but that's that's how we need to do that with um with um, uh,
0: that's how we that's how we handle these
1: things. We, we, we become more aware we see what it is we, we, we learn to respond differently but then we also see what it is and, and also understand where the response comes from and that's a growing maturity gives us
0: tools uh, to go do some research in our lives and spend some time with that It usually ends
1: up with forgiveness. I just gotta let go of something. But you can't really forgive until you realize you're really angry, because it was a real wound. So that's why you have to work through these things. Because sometimes people think, forgive Oh, no, I no big deal, I forgive you. Like, well, if, if you're deeply wounded and hurt, and haven't grieved through that emotion, you can't really forgive yet you haven't acknowledged what it did to you and processed it, and that's where where um, it's it, that's where you know forgiveness takes some time, and we usually have to do it again and again. So, so. so there's yeah. So and and unfortunately. Jesus is there as the light to reveal it, and as the propitiation for our sins to forgive it and to be with us. And as we walk, this is what from the last chapter, as we walk in the light, this is the dynamic that happens within us. We grow in knowledge of God, we grow in knowledge of God, we grow, we grow in knowledge of self, because we'll see ourselves more clearly in the light of his
0: presence. not to
1: belabor it too much, but one other thought, one other thing is that, uh, you know, we, we, we come to faith, at least I can speak for myself, when I was younger, and the things you think of as your sins, you tend to think of as, you know, lust and gluttony and these excessive things, and you think, okay, I cleaned these up, but then you go down the road little the wine, you go, that was really not even the most difficult thing. It's the hidden anger, the resentment that you didn't even know was there. And oftentimes, that's often what fuels more visible things. That's why the, the that's why, um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's how it, it gets deeper in our lives. And that's how we, you can, uh, go along in life and, um, there's a, there's a reality in the spiritual life that, you can give the impression that you're getting worse. But what's really happening is you're seeing more. It's like, I, I told the story, I apologize, but I remember in the, in the um, home I grew up in, we had two bathrooms with different lighting. One was in the sun and bright, and one was down the hall and darker. And you went in the, down the hall, dark one, you look at your face like, oh. Today. But then you you you'd, you'd go down the other bathroom and you'd go
0: ah you know <laughs> look at
1: all the, the the things and and so a lot of times our our idea of doing okay is we aren't seeing ourselves in full light and so the, the idea we're getting worse comes because as we get closer to the light we're going to see more and we feel like we're getting worse but we're really actually dealing with that stuff.
0: Yeah. Hmm. So we don't sin, but Jesus is propitiation
1: when we do in the ongoing cleansing. Verse 3. Now, by this we know that we know him. That's a interesting statement. Just we know we know him. <laughs> and it's, it's personal confidence that what I know is him. If we keep his commandments, he who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God, is protected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought to walk just as he walked. Now, we ought to pick up here uh, this idea of the commandments. This is something that screams out for some some references back to John's Gospel. where do we remember in John's gospel about commandments? Like a new commandment.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. What was that? John fifteen. John 15.
1: The, and and he, he specifically states there is in John fifteen the new commandment. I think is a little bit before then. Yeah. Let's see here. Maybe is
0: it. Uh, My problem is that half time I can't read my own notes. Um, <laughs> that so it's 1334. Um,
1: and in, interestingly enough, um, to, to relate to something in, in going to verse 33 of John, um, John will use this term children. And here it says, Jesus says to his to, to apostles, little children. I should be with you a little while longer. Now these are grown men, but he's talking spiritually, they're children. They're growing. Um, verse 34, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know, scenario, the same word that John uses, you are my disciples, you have love for another. Others will know that you are. But by this, we will know that we know him, if we're keeping his commandment and to love one another as Christ loved us. Now, um, I thought Father Hayden preached really nice sermon on this last Sunday about uh, being a neighbor. But it um, it highlights Again, John's point that believing in the incarnate Son of God and having faith in him and receiving the gift of the Spirit means you're going to do what he did, what he did. He died on the cross for us. He called these apostles to follow him and none of them actually did it so well. But he still died for them and still appeared to them and forgave them. So if you're gonna love one another as I have loved you, it means that's the thing. We're not going to hold grudges, we're going to forgive, we're gonna work through things, that's the sign. And
0: it's interesting in um, Revelation that St. John Revelation chapter 2. St. John, who we believe was in Ephesus, wrote the risen Christ,
1: gave him a a letter to write to the church in Ephesus. And so we probably understand even the first John Christ circulating in that area of Asia Minor. And in the the letter to the church in Ephesus, he says, uh, you know, um, the risen Christ tells John, tell the church in Revelation chapter 2, I know your works, your labor, your patience. You cannot bear false apostles. You persevered, you have patience, you labor. And then verse 4, he says this Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. And you might say, okay, well, we'll clean that up. What he says is, remember where you've fallen repent and do the first works or else i'll come and quickly remove your lampstand the lampstand is their church so that all these things persevered stood for the truth opposed the false apostles and and jesus doesn't say anything wrong with that but they've forgotten to love if they don't repent about love for each other which means active concern that is forbearing and, 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 and as Christ behaves towards us, so we are to behave towards each other.
0: That doesn't happen. going to take it away. And so get, you know, getting back to the new commandment. So when first John is telling us, um,
1: He who says, "I know him," and does not keep his commandments; is a liar. I say, I know him, but I don't love the brethren.
0: And we should note here that this also uh,
1: implies something. that the church is a community would, that you'll be a part of. You'll be there to love one another, and this is this is part of the the thing about this idea of well, I don't think I have to go to church. Um, where are you going to fulfill the the commandment of Jesus to love one another as he has loved you if you're alone, if you, you know, listen, COVID has all kinds of sequestering, and for health reasons I was talking about, we purposely say I'm not going to, I'm going to stay myself, I don't like all those hypocrites at church. Usually that's a reflection of a lack of self-knowledge, because because as bishop Moore said, there's always room for one more <laughs> and the more you grow in your life of faith the more you come to christ with um your own sins and experience real grace in relationship to your life the harder it is to to, to turn to someone else and yeah, i'm not you know because it's, it's a it's a connected experience. And so generally when people are um, harsh and judgmental towards others or have difficulty, um, it relates to their, their, their not yet really having experienced forgiveness within themselves in a way that, that makes them understand that. Um, now, I will say a complicating Aspect to that is also that some people have been through a lot of trauma yeah. in life,
0: and so some people
1: struggle to be part of a community because there 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 there's a lot there are trust issues in terms of and that the community requires patience towards those persons. You wouldn't say, well, you're not loving, you know, and that's, that's where we don't understand the complexity of the human person. The the, the sort of arrogant guy who won't come to church don't want to deal with anybody is not the same as a traumatized person who has difficulty coming to church because they're trying to find, they're trying to develop some relational trust. But, and, and so, um, but the point is that for John, um, it's clear it's that, uh, keep his commandments, which means to love each other, which means that it presumes you're going to be in a community. And that's also the way that salvation becomes a tangible communal reality and not an individual Gnostic reality. I can make my own religion, have my own salvation, never need to go do anyone else or to, you know, and I can, you know, oh, hey, I gave money away because it didn't cost me anything. Uh, I mean, it didn't Require any effort beyond. that is why often the charity of mere money is easier, especially for us in the West to write a check. Easier, it's easier than sitting down with someone and getting a cup of coffee and listening to a story and you know,
0: acting. So, the other uh, things from John, uh, the new commandment. Um, And then there's um in chapter 15,
1: um, which will connect with um, how oh, I think I, I mean. Oh no, anyway, I, I got another piece of paper. So <laughs> I gotta do better. Make put my notes down where I can read them and find them. Um, here we go. That was last week's little things. Um, John 15:12. So actually, it's to start from 1510, because we'll see some other similar words in John's gospel. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. That's the thing. John's going to pick up again, just, I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love and these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So now we go back to first John. And uh, it said in verse 6, he who says he abides in him ought to walk as he walked. So to say that you're in Christ and aren't about the business of practicing love, that, that reveals that claim to be
0: disingenuous.
1: and ought to walk just as he walked. And it's just what he said, right? As I did, my father said and abided in his love. So now you you do what I say and you abide in my love. All right. Verse 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Now, here, we talked last week about the beginning. The very first verse of First John said that which was from the beginning. And in John, we talked about the beginning could be the beginning of time. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And because John's gospel says in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. But there's also a sense in John here that in the beginning is in the beginning of their uh, coming to faith and the gospel. So that which you had from the beginning, because they weren't there at the beginning of the world. uh, So I'm not writing a new commandment. This is the, the word you heard from the beginning of your faith. And that's also that continuity is significant because Gnostic teachers had no continuity. They came and said, I've got a special thing. So it came in, <clears throat> it wasn't part of a transmission of truth. It was just this. This. So if you had this from the beginning and someone comes along and says something else, then you know that something else is not the thing you've had from the beginning.
0: It also be the beginning, as back in the Old Testament times, the law that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and- Strength and your neighbor is yourself. Could it be that beginning as well? It's the beginning
1: of the Hebrew faith, beginning there too. I think I think that's a good point. Especially, let's read the next verse and pick up on what Diane said. It says, "Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining." And this is part of the idea that, that, that the idea that the commandment Jesus gives is not brand new; it's rooted in the Torah. But it's made new, it's constantly made new in the revelation of Jesus. And the new, so even the new commandment, even the new covenant is not like a brand new covenant out of full cloth. It's a renewed covenant that fulfills the old and brings it to its right to my conclusion. So the love of Jesus is not contrary to the Torah but it it brings it out in the fullest light. And that's kind of like we talked about the Sermon on the Mount where, you know, you've heard it said, hey, there's this. But now I say I get underneath it. And now we see the full and understanding that anger, anger is the root of murder. And we have to deal with it there does not mean you shouldn't murder. So it's not we're not casting away the old, but we're getting a little clearer vision of of what that is.
0: darkness is passing in,
1: true light is always shining. And so here, here he, 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 he uh, portrays the sort of sense of Jesus, the coming of Jesus uh, and the advent of the gospel as it goes forth. The light is beginning to shine. There's still darkness in the world, but it's it, the light is going to grow and the darkness is going to recede.
0: Verse 9. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. So um, that's just a more tangible expression of
1: what john is saying okay you say you're in the light and you hate him you're in darkness now we we should note about this with the brother or who's the sisters it's you know uh, uh,
0: that love and hate
1: are um presented here as kind of uh you know certain simplistic binary oppositions And of course, love, what I mean, love is very hard. So you're called the love, we're called love one another. Well, we're not always so easy to love and some people provide unique additional challenges, shall we say, Um, so that sometimes we can can miss, uh, we can think that love means sentimentality. Oh, I love you. But love really is rooted in uh, a desire for your good, we love one another as God, as Christ has loved us. Well, Christ loves us by certainly highlighting what we've done wrong and leading us into. So we don't love people by pretending, by not, by being unwilling to confront the wrong they're doing. Um, in fact, ignoring the wrong someone was doing is not, is, is an act of not love because you're, you're, you're allowing someone to continue on something that's not right. We may have a pathetic duty to do that. So what I just want to highlight in these comments that the vocation to love is simple in its concept. It's really hard. You have to ask, what's the best thing for me to do here? So that's not so clear. Not was loving people who are making it easy, or uh, and how do you deal with someone who's maybe done something, or faith? There's a whole lot of things. Although I should also say that John's primary focus here is within the Christian community. It's not dealing with the problems we have with people outside the community. That's its own thing. This is, we should operate in a way that there ought to be at least an ability to have a, a general reproach on the weekend. And that doesn't mean that everything's going to be confronted. That's um, like people say, well, they did this. Think I should confront that. You know, some people are like, want to grind their ass, and so every time somebody didn't look at them the right way or didn't say hi in a nice way, they want to go to Christ, you know, so it, it seems like in the um, framework of trying to love and forgive, forbearance is a big part of love. That might have annoyed me, but it, I'm just going to
0: let that go and play on. I'm not going to... Uh, not going to confront every little thing. And if you feel the need to confront every little thing that's wrong, it'll probably be something about us.
1: <laughs> Verse 11. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded, his eyes. Light and darkness, we touched on last week, the, the connection of the creation, where uh, God said, let there be light. And then in John's gospel, the light sh- shine in the darkness. And so um, if we're walking in this light, we're in this light of, and really here's if Jesus is the light of the world, it's brought out in the sense of new creation, that we're walking in it. And if we're hitting our brother, it shows we don't know what we're doing in the world today. Now, verses 12 through 14 are kind of, he breaks into a kind of uh, poetic series of verses that people struggle with understanding just what it means. So I'll read them while we talk about them. I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Now, little children here, remember it's exactly what Jesus called the, the apostles in John 15. So it doesn't necessarily mean that John's writing a little note to the kids in church. <laughs> he is, he's writing, you know, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the
0: wickedness. I write to you little children because you have known the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him was from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. There's a lot of different solutions to just how he's trying to parse this out in its what's for fathers, what's for
1: young men. Obviously, um, the idea of strength for the spiritual battle for the, for the young men, the fathers who have the idea of wisdom that comes from the beginning. and um,
0: But there are also dispositions and gifts that apply to all Christians as well. And it's interesting here
1: when you say you have known him was from the beginning. He has those different horizons of beginning again. That seems to get back to the beginning of Genesis. You've known him was from the beginning.
0: Overcome the wicked one. And we'll get that later on.
1: We've overcome the wicked one because Christ has. And in him, we have the interior resources to fight the spiritual battle. And 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 conquer in it. him. We have our own version of that battle. But we have the ability if we stay in Him, and that's that's remember when you when we read Revelation and the letters to the churches, we had this refrain: that, "To him who conquers, I'll give us. Conquers well, what? Conquers the enemy in the battle that we are each him. The word of God abiding in you is like Jesus in the wilderness in His battle. Devil says, "Hey, why don't you do this?" And say, "Well, God
0: said this, so we become more firmly rooted in in uh, in in the Word of God." Verse fifteen: Do
1: not love the world or the things in the world now we have to um bear in mind the different nuances of the term world here john uses world is sort of the idea of humanity and its organized rebellion against god it doesn't mean you don't you know can't love the ocean or (laughs) the trees so there and sometimes also we had in john's gospel that god still loved the world but here he means, don't love your, the things of the world in such a way that will pull you away. Because anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, He who does the will of God, and fight forever. We should note that this word lust uh, is really in greek just the word for desire and it's not um it's not uh it's not inherently sexual in its in its um uh, the desire of the eyes and you see here actually a a a close connection here to our baptismal vows. what do we renounce in baptism the world, the flesh, and the devil. So how would you match up these three things with those renunciations? What is the lust or desire of, of, well, the flesh pretty straightforward, right? And that's the, the flesh, so the, the lust of the flesh is pretty straightforward. The desire of the flesh which you renounce. Um, the lust of the eyes, what's that have to do with? Of the three you renounce. world slash devil, two choices. We already illuminated flesh. Is this world or devil? Oh, God,
0: world, yeah.
1: what, So the eyes are the way we look in the world.
0: They want that. And um,
1: we see here too, and then, and then the devil, of course, the pride, any time the word pride sneaks out, you mm-hmm. always have a, a close connection with demonic. <laughs> So, um, lust of the flesh, our own interior appetites, lust of the eyes, seeing things we want and covet, and the pride of life, which is the presumption that I have a right to do whatever I want to do and not be subject to God's word.
0: In terms of spiritual disciplines,
1: um, there are three basic spiritual disciplines that Jesus. Established, or there. Now, he, he um, talked about fasting and alms giving and prayer. And in terms of these spiritual enemies,
0: um, these are ways that we,
1: in actively work to combat. The enemies which which enemy does fasting most help us combat huh? the, flesh. the flesh we have these appetites we want things and fasting means training ourselves to discipline our appetites practice saying no that's what that is you fast i'm going to say no for a while what you learn oh i can say no and so that, that trains us to understand, to to be able to say, yes, when, it's, when the thing is good and when it's the right time, and no, when it's not good or not the right time. Whereas in our natural state, we just perhaps do whatever whatever we feel like doing, whatever we're drawn to do. We can't conquer that appetite, which becomes an addiction or something that we're captive to. Um, what would almsgiving relate to?
0: The world
1: so we, we we see the world things we want i like, get this want to grab and covet well instead of that we, we let's let's practice giving it away and that's the really when what, what jesus said you know give alms so make money bags that don't wear out it's, it's it's more about dispossessing ourselves of things again it's not that um The Bible even teaches that money is an inherently bad thing. It's that it has the we're tempted to hold on. to, And only by the practice. This is is the discipline of tithing, of giving away. The first part is is the symbolic dispossession here. And then the attitude of generosity, according to our means, we can say I can give here. And so rather than always, what do do I need? We we start working the other way. <clears throat> we, we, we would learn to give <clears throat> and then um, prayer uh, is of course the, the, the thing that quintessentially combats the demonic um, temptation because it makes us continually aware of our dependent status and it's why demonic temptation is always um, aimed at ultimately Having you abandon your prayer, that is, abandon your after relationship with Christ, fall into despair, give up. So the demonic role in pardon, variety, temptation to get you to be angry or commit some sin is that was not really interested in that. He's interested in the guilt you feel afterwards, which will try to work into despair. And hopelessness and the accuser and the tempter the tempter and the accuser and so this is why prayer staying connected um, and even as john said the blood of jesus christ cleansing us from sin so so that when we do stumble into something <clears throat> to to resist demonic temptation to come right back and and connect and, and be cleansed and reconciled that's how we avoid these things it's a way we, we
0: uh, discipline ourselves to avoid these things. Verse
1: 18. <clears throat> Excuse me, something in my throat there. <laughs> Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know there is the last hour. Now we've talked about um this idea of the la- the last hour that there's some idea of uh nobody knows incidentally when first John was written. And we talked about we studied Revelation uh believing that or my convention It require you to believe it, but my convention <laughs> that um, Revelation was written before the fall of Jerusalem uh in A D seventy which marked formally complementing obviously the cross and resurrection the end of the old covenant age jesus in his cross and resurrection fulfilled the old covenant sacrifices within a generation there was no more temple so there's a sense in which that was the end of the age and that this whole new testament period is a transitional period in the old covenant age to the new covenant age. Now, also, there's the reality that once the Holy Spirit came, um, we're always living in the last times. The last days are the entire stretch of history, from Pentecost until the second coming of Jesus. So this last hour has some ambiguity to it, but it's it's always maybe to be heard just in terms of that, Gospel exhortation to watchfulness, to be aware that we're dealing, we're, we're living in a time that has uh, its horizon of being the, the coming of the kingdom, and so uh, that's the last hour. And then be aware that antichrists are coming, and that means um, false Christ's, those who pretend to be but aren't. We test them.
0: And We knew they were coming, and, um, and their
1: advent lets us know that. He says, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out, that they might be manifest. and none of them were of us. And this, again, speaks to the idea of, 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 the, of the community. They, they, they left, and they showed, therefore, they weren't in the fellowship that John, they did the fellowship that John established because he saw and touched, he witnessed to them, he is, he, there's this community established, and if you go out from that community, this shows that you're really not of faith that's authentic.
0: Verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things.
1: What's that anointing? Holy Spirit. And he would think of this even as probably the oil of anointing that would have been administered in in baptism. And so, because they have the Holy Spirit, they, they can know, they can perceive, oh yeah, this isn't right. They don't just have to know this because John says, Don't talk to him. Okay, I won't. But that, that, the, that because we have the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to discern what the true faith is. And for us, it would be things that, you know, this is a much more infant state of the church. When this is what's been explained in the Old Testament, we have the creeds that enshrine the doctrines of the church. We have a, a more fully developed sense. So we can compare um, what we see from somebody with what we know, and the Holy Spirit can make us realize, oh, that's not, that doesn't seem right.
0: Verse 21, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and know is of the truth.
1: Who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father.
0: Either he acknowledges his Son.
1: He who denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son, the Son has the Father also. Now, this idea of a liar, do you remember in John's Gospel when that word came up? Jesus having a debate with like the Pharisees, and they were saying, We're we're disciples of Moses, we're not your disciples. And Jesus says, No, you're your your father's the devil, who's a liar. He was a liar from the beginning. But notice what was happening in John who is John Eight. They were denying he was the Messiah. So right here, whoever denies that Jesus is the Messiah. So that's that's this is carrying on the themes of John's Gospel
0: here. About the Antichrist
1: denying Jesus Christ goes back up to where he's talking about the ones who left. The community of believers that
0: they,
1: in essence, denied the Christ was. I think that's right, and, and, and John's making a connection between that authentic faith, incarnation, and the community of faith mm-hmm. given birth to by that confession, and that being where where the truth the truth is found. Those who went
0: out, yeah,
1: out yeah. or show that they're not okay. they're not. Out. I would say that, you know, even, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we live in a much different world now with a lot of of, uh, of varied brands of the faith, but we do know what, what the essential deposit of the truth is. And people who don't abide in the community of the truth but go out and do their own things and always have a complaint and always have this. Reveal themselves to be not in harmony with what John is saying, which is receiving the truth and loving one another. Those who stand out and criticize and point fingers and judge really
0: reveal a different thing is going on. Verse twenty four.
1: Therefore let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Truth about Jesus being the Messiah. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that have promised us eternal life. And we'll be clear about this, that John is seeing eternal life as a thing in which we're now living. Not a thing God will give us at the last day, but a thing we now have the Holy Spirit and we live in the community of life. We want to continue with that so it has its natural completion in resurrection and the coming kingdom. And so that's really about how to, to to hold on to eternal life and not be drawn away from it.
0: These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. There are people
1: who, who are deceptive. Incidentally, like... The serpent, more subtle than all the beasts. It's the the same old drama. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as taught you, you will abide in him. So this is a great confidence that John's giving in the body of believers that you have the Holy Spirit. And you can discern rightly because you have the Holy Spirit about what is true
0: and what is false. We have to cultivate that
1: discernment by prayer. And we have the advantage, something that John's community didn't have. We have a Bible. <laughs> this this is the, they're they're looking at the old this this is why in the early church. Um, This idea of succession, the idea of where you find the true thing is so important, because there weren't a lot of objective ways to determine what was right and wrong. And the way you did it was was these apostolic people who had the truth from him and gave it to you. And then we determined that we we could distinguish between them and this other guy who just came along
0: as the reason.
1: 28 And now, little children, notice that word again, little children, we used up in 12. So now he's talking to everybody. And um clear that that's kind of the same Jesus used in John 15. And now, little children, abide in him. When he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I want to. Reiterate this. I try to is that that everywhere in the New Testament that we dig down is the goal of the Christian life, coming of Jesus. People say, "Well, they thought he was coming right away, and didn't come right away, and he might not come here." It doesn't matter. The telos is always because even if we die, we look for the resurrection, the body, and the life of the world to come. And in many ways, our Eucharistic action participates in, foreshadows, and looks forward, because um, when he appears, we encounter him at the altar. He comes to us. He appears to us in a sacramental form, and in that encounter, we taste and experience the ultimate that's not yet completely here. And that's how we, as we learn, as we order our lives around our constant interaction with Christ in the sacraments, in our daily prayer, we're habituating ourselves to this discipline of coming to him and going and coming and going, and we get to know him, we live in him, and then when he actually one day shows up in person, it's like, oh no, you know, and that's, that's, that's what he's talking about here. We may have confidence and not be ashamed of just coming. You know that he is righteous. You know that everyone who practices righteousness. Is good. We are
0: for today. Um, I want to say
1: one thing that um, we will um, be meeting next week, but the week after next week, um, two weeks from today. Uh, um, most of our staff is going to a, a mission retreat we are sponsoring in texas so not only won't i be here but there's no one here to be here instead of me so we'll have a day when we'll probably not have mass or bible class in two weeks again next week will be i'll send this out by email i meant to put it in the secret for god so two weeks with that but next week we'll be here for John. week all right let's pray lord bless us and keep us Lord, make his face to shine upon us, be gracious unto us. Lord, lift up this countenance upon us and give us peace this
0: day and forever.